It's Megan, host of the Screams and Moans podcast. Thanks for bringing me into your ears tonight. Jeez, put some clothes on. We're not that close already. You know, the fact that you've chosen to sit down and listen for the next hour tells me a lot about you. It tells me you really have no fucking life. So... I suppose you're hoping to hear about some sort of crazy sex acts and atrocious low-budget movies. Well, you'll just have to wait because this is the special Halloween episode of the Screams and Moans podcast, full of dark bedtime stories. It may be a bit different, but variety is the spice of life. Or is that sex? Hmm. Either way... I hope you find it just as enjoyable. death that once befall was not so little after all. A moan, a sigh, a final breath would lead her gently to her death, climaxing off this mortal coil to end beneath six feet of soil.
so by the way, there's totally someone you've got to meet. Who is it? <laughs> um, well, it's this guy that I've been talking to, but, you know, I don't think he's really for me, but, um, yeah, he sent me a picture the other day. Oh my god. A dick pic? You're gonna think I'm so fucking dirty. Oh my god. I <laughs> already do. Come on. <laughs> well, I think that's why we're friends. Let's be real. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> All I have to say is girthy. Girthy. <gasps> Shut up. How oh. girthy are we talking about? <laughs> like a tuna can or what? <laughs> um, tell me, is it a Campbell's soup can or tuna can or... <laughs> doing water bottles here. Oh my. Probably a little more than a water bottle. Shut up. No. Really? really? Well, yeah, and allegedly over eight inches. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Who can even handle that? That is like... <laughs> God was smiling on that gentleman. Oh my. You have to introduce me. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'll, uh... Well, maybe next time we meet up, you know, I could just invite him along and we can all hang out. Oh, please do. I need to get in on some of that. <laughs> he needs to get in on some of that. <laughs> <laughs> True. Who doesn't? I mean, come on. <laughs> Damn. I know. Uh, <laughs> some people just can't resist. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> some people. Well, you know, you've known stories about all the guys I've been with. Oh, see, you deserve this. Exactly, I need something worthwhile. Help me out. Hook a girl up. <laughs> Don't be a bitch and keep them to yourself. <laughs> How dare you? You know I share. <laughs> you can even join us. Hey! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, we're so dirty. I know. Oh. But yeah, but then sometimes, I don't know, there's some fucking weirdos out there too. I mean, oh, I know. I've met plenty of them. <laughs> the other day, I was just out. I forget which bar I was at, but this guy just, like, would not leave me alone. It was fucking creepy. Oh, no. What was he saying to you? Well, there was obviously something not right in the head to begin with. Um, oh, God. Yeah, I know. He just kept coming back and back and would not leave me alone and well, that sounds like a murderer he probably wanted to <laughs> have a sex with your dead carcass or something <laughs> some people don't get the hint and some people know what they want so <laughs> and i know what i want and it's eight inches and uh... <laughs> who doesn't <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Ew, but what? Ew, was he cute at least? Seriously, no. And I don't know, maybe... Uh, yeah, I have to tell you the story. It was super creepy. Oh no, tell me. Yeah, so this is what happened. Good evening, sweetheart. I'd like to buy you a drink, and then I'd like to help you spread the word of the day, which just happens to be legs. Oh, really? Well... Wait, wait. <laughs> You look, look, look awfully familiar. Do I know you from somewhere? Um, 
don't think so. Your name doesn't happen to be Barbara, does it? Barbara? Um, no. But why? Should I be? You really shouldn't be. It's, it's not that I have a, a problem against the name Barbara, it's just that, you know, there's this one girl. She's really, really bad person. Oh, well then, so you're lucky that I'm not Barbara. Oh, you have no idea. Oh. Because, well, let me tell you this story. And trust me, this is bringing back a whole load of memories that I don't really want. But, I, you know, I feel like I should tell you. Because you look so much like this, Barbara. Um, um, I, I was in a band called Hot Tub Talent Show. And <laughs> we, used to, we used to perform at the Roundhouse Theatre every other weekend. This is where I met this cow, and trust me, she's an absolute bitch. I happened to bring her up on the stage one time, and offered for her to give me, let's say, some um, sexual satisfaction on stage. We were going to mimic it, but what she actually done was pull my trousers down in front of the whole audience and stick two pinkies up my stinky, and it was never a good thing. It was a public humiliation act just to try and get her fucking game on in front of the whole world just to try and better me and like I said this just brings back a whole load of anger and sorry sorry I shouldn't because you're not oh. Barbara you should, I shouldn't get angry but yeah really and you know um yeah you're kind of starting to creep me out a little bit I, no, no, I, I honestly don't mean to creep you out but you really do I, I you really do look like a, you're not Barbara, are you? No. Because what? because the hair and, and the third nipple and the scar on your face. I, I mean, that scar is just yeah, freaking me out. Sorry, I, I really shouldn't. That, that, that scar was from a fucking abusive boyfriend. Like, how could you even talk about that? Because, the, no, I, sorry, I really don't mean to prone to your personal life, but that scar brings back so many memories. I mean, look, look, look. I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, I think, you know, we're just I, me let, meeting let me and everything. And I, and I, I mean, you, you don't really want to hear this. Um, no, no. And I've already told you numerous times I'm not Barbara. And Do you know what that can actually done to me one time? And I know you honestly don't want to hear this, but you really need to hear yeah, this. Yeah, I really right? don't. Okay. You yeah. really do. This, this cunt Barbara, and I you so swear you let the fucking, fucking spitting image of her. This cunt oh, nice. won't do you like gamers. I, I assume she meant that she had a vagina like a fucking Grand Canyon, and she wanted me to go straight in with fist first. But no. So she fucking pins me against the wall with a fucking nail gun to my hands and feet, strips me down to my fucking bare bollocks, right? I kid you not, not only does she brand my ass with her fucking initials just to make it re-bob, but she fucking used- have you ever heard of these things called the jaws of life? Firemen like to use them to cut people out of fucking cars. No, she likes to use them to gape on my asshole to the size of who knows what, a fucking huge fireplace that you can see Batman slide down the pole out of. And she just proceeds to shove every single sex toy you fucking can conceive up my rectum. I've got 17 fucking sex toys up my rectum, and all of this is coming into my fucking head because you look. I Why swear to I God, you are her. You're the weirdos. Um, I, I swear to God, you, you seriously look like her. If you're not Barbara, then 
I, I, I swear, I do apologize, but you seriously look like her. Um, well, I was gonna say, I may not be Barbara, but, I mean, from all I've heard so far, all I have to say is, if you don't leave me the fuck alone real soon, I'm gonna make Barbara look like she was well-adjusted. Whoa, 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 why, why you got a bit left? Right, fine, fuck you. All I've done was come to buy you a drink, but if you have to be like that, fuck me. I'm off. Yeah, so can you fucking believe that? That is gross. What a creep. I know. I was like super creeped out. I mean, I was afraid to walk home after that. I mean, were you all by yourself? <laughs> He's gonna wear your skin as a suit. <laughs> no. That's scary. Oh my, oh my god, stop. We have we have to get back to something else that's, you know, a little more alluring than that. <laughs> Okay, please. I need a change of subject here. Gross. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. So maybe we should get back to that other guy. Do you want me to text him? Maybe he's out tonight. Oh, that's a great idea. Please. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get out of this place then. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Hey, could I um tab out? Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, the name? Barbara. Alex Knott sat before a man who represented everything he despised. He hated nothing more in life than a psychiatrist, this psychiatrist, this Dr. Jonathan Worthington. This overly educated super-professional was the quintessential blonde-haired, blue-eyed alpha male. He was tall, handsome and fashionable, wearing clothes that fit just like they do on the mannequins in the windows. He was exactly what the Nazis had tried to genetically perfect. He was, in fact, perfect. He was everything Alex Knott was not, and yet this uberman had been given the task of questioning Alex. Alex was sure he could take the torture. He could take a lot. And after all, he'd only recently died. Well, Mr Knott, where would you like to start? asked Dr. Worthington, casually taking off his extremely thin glasses that Alex was damn sure he didn't need. I wouldn't, you smarmy prick. Is what he wanted to say, but Alex knew better. Confrontation was what they wanted, what they liked. You played into their hands that way. It only gave them more questions to ask. Alex just shrugged his shoulders. Then let's start with the dreams. The dreams, thought Alex, those were Alex's dreams and no one else's. How unfair, how infinitely cruel that some psycho swine had the privilege of knowing about his dreams. He wouldn't give up those wonders just yet. He had to fob him off until he could come up with a plan of action. I can't say I remember them all that well. Ah, I see. It would continue like this through the entire session. And that was fine by both of them. Alex Knott knew one thing about psychiatrists. 
They were never in a big hurry for you to cough up everything. They liked to play cat and mouse, stalking you, playing and taunting you before the final coup de gras. The bigger the bill, that way. What the hell? The health insurance was paying for all this anyway. He could stand up under the interrogation for those fifty minutes of session easy. He could put off this elite of the human race for years because Alex knew he himself didn't belong to the human race or, for that matter, this world. Alex Knott had been diagnosed as clinically depressed for as long as he could remember. He'd gone ten years on antidepressants and it only deepened his depression. The drugs covered the symptoms of the melancholy but could not unearth the roots. So he quit the eight pills a day regime, wanting rather his mental state to match his life philosophy, which was bleak and negative. The only thing that had ever broken his depression had been his death. Unfortunately, that had only lasted three minutes. But what a gloriously happy three minutes it was for Alex Knott. The only thing he had left of that bliss, however, were his fleeting dreams. Alex had died in a car accident a boring everyday affair that you hear about on the evening news. He couldn't even die in an exciting way. There was not much he could say about the accident. It was a wintry, icy corner sort of thing, with the obligatory spinning, screaming and blinding blurs of slowed down time. He only really remembered one thing about it, the moment his heart stopped. When he woke up in the hospital days later, it had all been explained to him. The explanations were unsatisfactory. They kept telling him Owen White survived, when what he really wanted to know was something more existential, something of a firmer philosophy than a throw of the dice from the hands of fate. Alex Knott wanted to know why he was alive again, why he had come back to this place. At least there were his dreams. He still held some hope for them. He couldn't remember any dreams before the accident. Now his dreams were only and ever of one thing, his own death. Alex Knott had come to think that the concussive force that had cut short his life had somehow unlocked a greater consciousness. That somehow he had discovered a link to his own death, or rather, to the place of death. The happiness that his death had brought him couldn't keep him occupied all day, and that was when depression would set in. He often blamed his state of mind on his living situation. This annoyed him so deeply he refused to fully acknowledge how bad it was. It would pop up through his little tics and sudden furtive gestures that seemed to come out of nowhere but were always related back to his living situation. Alex Knott was 30 years old, unemployed and living alone with his mother in a small, dingy and unexciting 1930s terrace. The truth was that his malaise ran even deeper than that, because although he dated living with his mother, he really didn't even want to move out or live anywhere else. So he hated himself all the more, and in a way that satisfied him. But in reality, he had it pretty good. For the most part, his mother left him to his own devices. There was a cost, of course, to Alex. There always is. Over the years, they had developed an unwritten and unspoken arrangement. It had never been acknowledged nor directly referred to, but it was always in operation and ever understood by the participants. It was a tacit arrangement, developed over the years through battles of silence and innuendo. Alex's mother could never nag him about getting a job or doing something productive with his life. In addition, 
She would occasionally leave him some spending money on the kitchen table and never mention it. For Alex's part, he had to endure the holidays with his mother's family. He had to eat dinner with her and had to watch her favourite television shows and, of course, feign interest in these topics. Strangely, however, the most pivotal of the caveats was that Alex could never divulge what he really felt about this world and his life. His young days of flying off the handle to his mother about how truly shitty this world was were over. He had to keep that shit in. Things began to change for Alex after the accident. In a subtle way, Alex Knott had broken their arrangement. He had brought his awful inner life into their home. He'd inadvertently threatened the peace by the mere suggestion of his early mortality and the mother's long loneliness. For his mother, this breach of contract had to be remedied. So, by her understanding of the arrangement, she decided that her son needed to see a psychiatrist. This was a point of contention in Alex's reading of the arrangement, but there was little he could do to argue the point, for that would entail reviewing the entire foundation of the agreement and he felt his case might not stand up under such an examination. So Alex Knott just stayed in his room and said nothing. His mother was unimpressed with his silent bargaining tactics. He was silent most of the time anyway. She persisted, and soon Alex realised his cause was hopeless. The only chance he had to return to the kind of life he so detested was to bend on this one point. She held all the cards, money, food and lodging. On top of that, he'd made the crucial mistake of mentioning the strange dreams. That was a trump card. Three minutes dead was one thing, but a son having strange post-traumatic dreams, that was a serious crack in the facade. Alex Knott had exposed his inner life. Now there were these damn therapy sessions. They'd been going on for months now. Dr Worthington looked just like a Ken doll to Alex Knott. A Ken doll married to a Barbie with a litter of little Barbie Kens. Dr Worthington had pictures of his family all over the office. They looked just like the perfect family, those families that come pictured in a newly purchased frame. They were all too perfect and it made Alex want to spit blood. Every session the doctor's three blonde cherubs stared up at Alex from their frame on the table with their village of the damned smiles spreading a rictus grin of happiness. How could one so perfect help one so flawed? Or rather... How could one so flawed ever demean himself enough to accept the help from one so perfect? And here he was again, back on the couch, back in the museum of the world's most perfect family. His whole life had become a week-long ritual of hate for his therapy and therapists. Dr Worthington's torture tactics were breaking him down. Alex didn't know how much longer he could take all the happy faces and enforced optimism. He hated to admit it, but Dr. Worthington's slow, badgering method was beginning to produce psychological dividends. Alex swallowed a sigh and waited for Dr. Worthington to start in. He didn't have to wait long. So, Alex, do you think there is a connection between the dreams and your accident? Alex held his breath. He made a face and slowly breathed again. If the bastard only knew. The accident? Is that possible? You're the doctor. Worthington was getting close. 
Worthington tapped a no-doubt overpriced pen against his lip. Well, you said you'd never had a dream before. I took the logical leap. Alex picked up the family portrait that Dr Worthington had displayed on his coffee table. You have a very nice family, Dr Worthington. You're interested in families, are you? Uh, let's talk about your family, Alex. Alex set the portrait back down. The faces still smiled at him. What sort of hell would it be like to live in that family? That genetic incubator of saccharine, sweet, patronising, life-loving, conservative clones. He vomited the thought from his mind. I didn't really have a family. My father died when I was young. I'm aware of that, Alex, but you do still live with your mother. Alex sank back into the couch. A long moment passed. Alex stayed silent. Worthington rolled his platinum pen in between his fingers. Well then, let me tell you about my family, said Worthington after a while. I have three girls, as you can see. The oldest is eight. And if that isn't enough for you, my wife and I are expecting. We're going to have our first son, Alex. What do you think about that? Isn't that exciting? Hardly, blurted out Alex before he could contain himself. Dr Worthington chuckled to himself. I didn't think you'd think so. But unless you talk to me, I'm going to have to drone on about my family and how my girls love to go horse riding and ballet classes and how the youngest is just learning to ride a bike. Please don't. Then let's talk about your dreams, Alex. What do you want to know? What are they about? I can't always remember. And did they start after the accident? As far as I know. Are they always the same? Not exactly the same. But they share a theme? Sort of. And what is that theme, Alex? Alex stood up and went behind the coach. He started to pace. A bead of sweat rolled down his cheek. His armpits felt damp. His scalp felt hot, like he wore a wig. He glanced at the clock. He still had twenty minutes left. Are you thinking about it, Alex? Alex kept pacing, faster now. He could see in his mind Worthington writing him a prescription at the end of the session. He could see Worthington back at his perfect home, talking to his perfect wife about what a fuck-up his new patient was. He could hear the giggles of Worthington's daughters. He could see himself now, with the amber pill bottle in hand, standing at the bathroom sink with a glass of water, waiting to be drunk. Alex stopped and looked at Worthington, and looked at him in the eyes for the first time. I dream about the place I went when I died. Really? Really. Why don't you tell me about it? All right, I think I will. It's a wonderful place. A place where no one gets hurt. No one looks down on anyone. No one judges anyone. No one ever grows old. No one ever dies. And everybody can do whatever they want. Sounds like heaven. Nah, it's not heaven. Because there is no boss. Everyone is their own boss. Do you believe this place really exists? Am I crazy if I say yes? Not necessarily. Yes. Yes, I do believe, because I was there. I was there for three minutes of your time when I died. And when I shuffle off this shitty coil, I'll go back. It's the only thing that makes me happy, to tell you the truth. Dr Worthington scribbled furiously. Is that what you wanted to hear, Doc? Yes, I think we might have had a minor breakthrough, Alex. I'll tell you what, the time's nearly up. Let's break off for today. But stop by my receptionist on the way out and let's schedule an extra appointment as soon as possible. Alex walked to the door. He opened it and felt something when he exited. He felt free. That night, Alex not dreamt of the deathless place again, but this time it was different. It wasn't like before. 
There was something wrong and he writhed in his sleep because of it. When he awoke, all he could remember were the echoes of an ethereal voice. He'd been saying something to Alex just as he woke up. Alex closed his eyes again. He tried to remember the words. One last echo reverberated around his half-awake mind. It said, You shouldn't have told Alex. You have endangered your chance to come here. Be very careful, Alex. The words faded to nothing. What had happened? What had he done? Nobody had told him it was a secret, but the sinking feeling he felt inside made him know that he should not have told. Panic gripped him. He had to do something. Then the phone rang down the hall. It was 7.30 in the morning. Who would be calling at this hour? Alex got up and walked out into the hall. His mother had picked up the phone. She was dressed for work already. She was nodding her head and writing something down. Somebody called knowing her routine, knowing that she would still be here and Alex would be asleep. She hung up the phone. Who was that? Alex, we're going to have to make another appointment for the hospital. I asked you, who was that on the phone, Mother? I am not supposed to say. Mother, I'm not going anywhere unless you tell me what this is about. His palms were cold and sweaty. He could feel his heart thump and bang against his ribcage. They were screwing everything up. Alexander Knott, you can't always have it your own way. We're going to go and that's that. Dr. Worthington thinks that the brain scans might have missed something. He just wants to check if everything is okay up there. So you better call and make that appointment. Mother. He huffed, searching for some defense to fall back on. Mother, I'm my own man. I'm not some ward of the state. It was the best he could do. We're not going to argue about this, Alex. You see to it, or I will. And with a curt smile, she left for work. All Alex was capable of was stumbling down the hallway and falling into bed. Something had finally gone right for once in his miserable life. He was special for once. He had a future, an importance in this world, and that damned shrink and his mother had teamed up to try and destroy it all. Back to the hospital? He couldn't go back to the hospital. What if they did find something wrong? Even worse, what if they fixed it? They might make the dreams go away. They might take away his hope. That was it. That's what the warning in his dream was. They were telling him not to go back to hospital. That was the danger. Alex heaved a long, heavy sigh. He covered his head with his pillow and he began to sob. There was only one thing he could do. He'd planned it many times, but there wasn't enough time for anything elaborate. He'd stockpiled enough over the years to do the job. Alex went to the kitchen to get a glass of water. Alex was in his dreams again. He was floating towards the deathless place. The sky was all around him and filled with light and cascading prisms of colour. There was no air and no need to breathe. He felt a narcotic happiness buzzing around the seat of his soul. The lights were getting brighter now. He was almost there. That voice again, like a thousand orchestras all in perfect harmony. What was it saying? His ascension slowed to a halt. What was the voice saying? Now he could hear it. You may not pass. You cannot enter. 
Why not? What happened? What did I do? The only thing that will bar you from this place. I didn't know we weren't supposed to tell anyone. The fault was not in the telling. I... I don't understand then. What did I do? Sadly, you failed the final test. The final test? And you were so close, Alex. So many souls have longed to come as close as you. But what did I do? Your incarnation was to be a trial of suffering. That suffering was the key to this place. But Alex, poor Alex, you undid all that suffering when you relinquished your life. Your exit was a loss too soon. You mean suicide? You had been on a very long journey, and your last life was to be the final test of your worthiness. Worthiness, thought Alex. Worthiness. Worthington. Was it connected? The whole thing was a test, and you'd almost made it. So, what does it mean? What will happen to me now? You are to be sent back to try again. Now listen well. This is my warning to you. In your next life, your soul will writhe under the yoke of its new existence. But if you bear on, you may again see these glimmering lights of paradise. Farewell to you, Alex Knott. All faded to black for Alex Knott. When he next opened his eyes, everything was incredibly bright and he was crying. <coughs> screaming with all the power of his lungs and he was being lifted up naked in the air by a huge pair of hands. Upside down he recognised someone's massive face peering at him. He recognised the face of Dr Jonathan Worthington. Dr Worthington shed a tear. He was both happy and sad. He'd just lost his patient Alex. But he had just gained a son. Why do you wait at the top of the stairs? Why aren't you there when we walk round in pairs? Why are you absent in brightly lit rooms, yet return in legion when day turns to gloom? I would welcome your jaws, I would welcome your claws, I would welcome your blades, your knives and your swords. I would welcome the sting of your well-sharpened sickle, or your scythe if you wish, but you are so fickle. I have turned off all lights and banished all friends. Come now, sweet death, here's where it ends. Well, hello again. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the show this far. And um, as we go on, I just want to Thank you guys again for listening to the show and all your positive reviews on iTunes. Um, it's been great seeing that people are enjoying the show, and especially as we're coming up on one year. Um, yeah, and a couple shows will be there. But with that being said, this show wouldn't be possible tonight without the help of numerous other talented podcasters and also a couple listeners. So at this time, I would like to thank everyone who contributed to the show. I'd like to thank 
Fenton 0800 and Matt Bubbles for Little Death and Sweet Death. Devin Guido and Wayne Crunchy Baglin in Barbara. Dave L for writing Poikilothermic and the voice actors of Nigel Boydell from Uncle Arthur's Bullocks, Dr. Norman Trousers from the Casa Mirth podcast, Bon from the Bon and Obo show, and my mom, who stepped in to play Alex's mom. We're ending the show with a final dark tale from the talented Mr. Davian Dent of the Bitter Sound and Strange Times podcasts. So with that, I'm going to tuck you in and bid you a good night. Hope you've enjoyed it, and in a few weeks, we'll be back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Are you scared yet? The phrase repeated at what seemed like semi-regular intervals. It was hard to tell, as I was still in a bit of a mess from the works party last night. Are you scared yet? Karen had turned up, as she normally does when there's a chance of a few free drinks and the chance to sell some acid. The evening started out well enough, balancing polite corporate chat with the bastards I worked for while swapping increasingly explicit text messages with Karen, who was holding court on the other side of the bar. After what seemed like an eternity of middle management buzzwords and talking outside the box, I decided that the time had come to catch up with the peddler of exotic hallucinogens and guilt-free casual sex. It seemed that I was still in favour with her. Either she'd forgotten, forgiven, or, as is most often the case, had some devious plan of revenge to exact on me. Either would be fine, to be honest, as each outcome always ended up falling asleep together after an extremely torrid night of drug and alcohol-fueled passion. The drink flowed, as did the banter. I regained my confidence and found myself reverting back to the same arsehole I'd left behind all those years ago. Oh well, in for a penny, in for a pound. A young impressionable couple in their early twenties was sitting with her and they seemed suitably impressed with my tales of rock and roll excess, although I did notice a solemn sadness in Karen's eyes. I paused my story against the protestations of the assembled crowd and pulled Karen to one side. As I started to speak, I noticed the single tear roll down from a sad blue eye, down her pale cheek, and into her glass of wine. I started to ask her what the matter was, but as she looked up and began to open her mouth, I heard my name being barked from the other side of the bar. Fuck, I thought. I thought I'd got away with not speaking to Tony. Tony was the odious head of sales, and started most of his drunken blasts of wisdom with the words, I'm not racist, but... Still, it'd only be about 20 minutes of torture. It was past 10 o'clock and Tony had to take regular comfort breaks. He had a very weak bladder, apparently, and was always seen exiting the men's room, rubbing his nose and blinking his eyes just as if he'd seen daylight for the very first time. I fucking hate cokeheads. 
Sure enough, Tony's plans for world domination were interrupted by his need to wreak more damage on the inside of his nose. I turned around to Karen's table, but the table was empty. Just then, the phone buzzed in my pocket, and to my surprise, there was a voicemail from Karen. Something about having to go home and sort things out. Naturally, I was welcome over any time, as she had something to tell me. Something important. She sounded serious. She ended the message with a quiet, Are you scared yet? Wonderful. Another self-induced anxiety crisis for me to solve. Still, being the knight in shining armor would no doubt reap its benefits later on. It must be Halloween, I thought, as I pulled on my coat and left the bar. The cold wind hit me hard, and it was then that I realized that the cow had spiked my drink. Damn her! I was banking on just a hangover in the morning, not some kind of drugged-up come-down. The phone rang. Another voice message. Are you scared yet? So, that was the game, was it? Wonderful. I'd have to work for this one, it seemed. I sat down on a nearby bench and gathered my thoughts. I noticed a distinct lack of hallucinations. Hmm, nice. So, not acid then, I thought. Then I passed out. Waking up on a cold morning with a combination of a hangover and some drug come down is never fun. But I was more annoyed, to be honest, with having missed my night of unbridled lust. My phone. Shit. Five voice messages, each with the same messages. Karen, you bitch. Are you scared yet? Well, no, I wasn't. I was angry. I was cross. I was fucking pissed off. It was a Sunday and she never did anything on a Sunday, so I decided to go over there and give her hell. I got to her house and immediately went down the side alley to retrieve the spare key she always left there. I'll sneak in and scare the living shit out of her, I thought. Nothing like a bit of childish revenge. Upon unlocking, the door opened with a minimum of creaking. Not that it mattered, as filtering down from the stairs was the sound of the latest depressing gothic rock band Karen was into. The lights were off, but that was to be expected. I reached her room, gathered my composure, and gently kicked the door open. There she was, limp, hanging from the ceiling, blood still slowly dripping from the slash down her left wrist. A note lay on the floor, half soaked in blood and curled. A coldness swept over me and I fell to my knees as I read the notes. It was always you, but you never noticed. Love, Karen. Suddenly, I noticed movement from the other side of the room. It was the young couple from the bar. My head was spinning, but I just made out their words. Are you scared yet?
screamsandmoans.com. The podcast about movies and sex, but not together, because that would be porn.